Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock grain and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar and what a week we've had in ag markets. The young cattle price surged to new records yet again. Lamb and mutton markets also rallied and after a six-week streak of price improvements, the wool market on its final week of the 2020-21 selling season took a turn south. But the improvement in wool prices over the last 12 months has just been such a great story. With all that though, markets aren't the sole focus for today's episode. We're actually going to be chatting to Gordon Begg, who runs Westfield Station near Longreach with his family which is right in the thick of the pastoral grazing zone. So you'll hear all about their operation, what the country's like out there, and some of the challenges of running a cattle, sheep and goat operation on that land. You'll catch that Robert Herman is on leave at the moment, travelling through outback Queensland, and we couldn't keep him away from the podcast for another week, so he sat down with Gordon while on the road. One thing that they do mention throughout the episode is DSE, or dry sheep equivalent, which might need a bit of explanation for some listeners. It's a pretty commonly used method of standardising an animal unit, often when talking about stocking density or comparing land or enterprises. And one DSE is the amount of feed required by a two-year-old 50-kilogram merino weather to maintain its weight. So hopefully that will help as the episode goes on. And I hope you enjoy the episode. I found it really interesting hearing from Gordon. And after a short thanks to today's sponsor, I'll leave you with the episode. Today's sponsor of Commodity Conversations is Cleaver's Organic Meats. All Cleaver's products are sourced from Australian family-owned farms, where animals are raised in free-range environments, are grass-fed from start to finish, and meet the strict animal welfare requirements of the Australian Certified Organic Standard. They offer a wide range of delicious lamb, beef and chicken products. Jump on their website to learn more at www.cleaversorganics.com.au Yep, thanks Olivia, you're right. I am on leave and uh, travelling up north. One of the things that Lynn and I like to do is um, is get out to the outback. Uh, it's probably part of our agricultural interests. And this year we're out near Longreach at the moment. We're out uh, driving around. Uh, there's a lot of good things to see, but one of the things we really treasure and cherish and we find a lot, happens a lot to us, is that we meet people who are out here and out back as well. And today, um, we're fortunate enough to be staying at Westfield Station. Um, that's, uh, I'll let uh, Gordon explain where it is and everything in a minute, but it's uh, run by Gordon and Gail Begg and, uh, and the young fella, Jack as well as uh, your daughters on another property, and you can talk all about it in a minute. But um, we've just had a drive around, and I've, look, coming from down south in that soft green country, Gordon, we're not really sure how good things are when you see this sort of country. So perhaps you can just, firstly, welcome to Commodity Conversations, Gordon, and um, just tell us a little bit about what we've been seeing today driving around and, and the property. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, um, I guess it's uh, a long way from that sort of southern, greener, higher rainfall country. but And to someone just driving through, it looks quite arid in places with not a lot on the ground. And I guess it would easily be seen as pretty hard environment for stock to survive and do well in. But uh, we have 
this year experienced a close to average summer rain. Our average rainfall in this area is about 16 inches a year and about 70% of that should fall in the summer months from, from November through to March. And this year so far we've had about 220 mil, so just under nine inches from the 1st of January. And our country is in fairly reasonable shape for this time of year. Well, I'm pretty. I'm, I'm sure it is because the. Um, we'll talk about the stock in a minute, but they they look pretty shiny. The stock, but I just before we get onto that, um, we spent the night in Longreach where most of the caravanners were bogged, but there was only a little bit of rain. But this soil, it when it gets wet, you just can't move on it, can you? No, it's very well. It's very slippery when there's. When, when the rain is falling and when there's a bit of moisture on top, it's very slippery, particularly hard to tow a caravan or a trailer. Yeah. And then as it gets a little bit wetter, it starts to pick up. It's, it's very sticky uh, and yeah. uh, it just packs up under your mud guards and will, will stop your wheels turning. Yeah. One of the things we noticed today driving around is there's, you know, you, we can tell and listening to you explain about how you're trying to keep the cover on and let the grass seed and everything. Tell us a bit, though, about the stock that you're running here. What are you running? Uh, how, how heavy can you run them? And what's your stocking rate? I know that's always, people, farmers always say, oh, it just depends on the year. But just in, as a general observation, because, Gordon, I've got to tell you that I don't know a lot about this country, but I know there's a hell of a lot of people who listen to our podcast in agriculture also don't know a lot about how you guys get on out here because it is quite different. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, I guess... Um, it is very vulnerable country. So I believe personally that if you, that if you try to push it, if you, if you try to push the country, you will pay the price in the end. Um, if you're able to run it conservatively and take the, take the stock off when you've still got a bit of a butt left on the ground, well, well, your country will respond because the soil is a heavier type of soil it's not quick responding. So, you know, when you get into your redder, lighter soils, you can get an inch of rain and get a response from country. But but in this heavier country, unless you've got a butt, unless you've got six or eight inches of butt left on your grass, you'll get anything up to two or three inches of rain and you'll get little or no response at all. So it's essential to keep some cover on your country, which also helps to keep a bit of organic matter in your soil, which, which makes your country a little bit healthier and you know, in the long run, I believe you get more kilos on you. Just on that, I mean, a lot of people talk about DSEs and AEs, yes. and I'll let Olivia explain what they are in the introduction today. Yep. What would you call a DSE rating for this country out here? I think if you possibly even the lands department or or um, officially, I think the country is rated about DSE to about between three and four acres. I personally believe it's almost double that. I, I believe it is, is closer to six acres or yeah. seven acres. Per DSE. Per DSE. Yeah. I, I know we're talking, you know, it's been a particularly ordinary period out here for the last six to eight years. There's a lot of people have had mostly drought in that time with just a few mm. mini breaks in between. But but the, the, um, the long-term average... I think has to be over twenty years, not you know, not over your better years. Yep. And yep. in this country, when it does get dry, you have to destock. They have to go. As far as I'm concerned, if you feed in this country, you'll destroy the country yep. because they will eat that butt to the ground, and 
it will take years to come to recover. So it's very fragile. Yeah, and look, it's a very topical thing to be talking about at the moment because, you know, there's a lot more focus on looking after the country. But in the end, Gordon, we make the money out of livestock out here. So tell us a bit about your livestock. We run a, um, a three-pronged income stream, I suppose. Um, we run uh, cattle, a breeding herd of cows and ewes and lambs. We run merino, dooney, cross, sheep, and we run a goat herd. Uh, and they're possibly almost evenly split, probably a little bit more cattle. We, we run a little under 400 breeders, cow, breeding cows, uh, in that, across our family operation. That's not just on our one place yeah. here where Gail and I are, but our daughter and son-in-law are, are, um, are partners in the, in the business and they are about 40 kilometres away and we have another place in partnership with our, another daughter and our son is also involved. So between the whole family, we run about just under 400 cows, about 2,000 breeding ewes and followers and about 1,600 uh, breeding goats. Yeah. Now, we had a look at the... We, we, we didn't see any sheep today, but we saw the cattle. They were, in, they were just really... The comment of the other people travelling with us from down south who were low a bit about cattle was how well grown they were, how they stood up and, uh, and they were in good order. Uh, and the goats, we'd come across the goats and, and they'd hair across the paddock and take off. I don't know how you got to muster them. <laughs> but you haven't mentioned the other big stocking number you've got on here. You've got a big carrying capacity of kangaroos. I don't think I've driven around a property where I've seen more kangaroos in the daytime, Gordon. What, what's the carrying capacity for kangaroos? What's the DSE rating <laughs> for kangaroo? Well, they, they rate them at about 1 to 12, 12 to 1 DSE. Yeah, yes, right. Yes, right. sorry. Whereas a... Um, a goat is similar at about 12 and, and a sheep is, is about eight. Yeah, they are a huge... They, we have thousands, thousands yeah, yeah. upon thousands. I could imagine that because we're... And, and they're all shapes and sizes. There's big reds, there's uh, greys, there's um, the other little black Wall- ones. Wallaroos. Wallaroos, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a massive problem. It was interesting. Um, we had uh, Pete Hughes from down at Tassie travelling with us and uh, after a while Pete said... He said, these are just do my head in driving around seeing these all day. But, you know, that's part of the, that's what's here. That's, the, that's what you've got to live with. Um, tell us a little bit about the, mark, the cattle marketing, because obviously you're not, you know, you're not sitting within five kilometres of, of the nearest market. What's your strategy behind your marketing here and your breeding program and how does it lead into your sales? Um, well, the last couple of years, we, we do vary it a little bit sometimes depending on season, but... The last couple of years, we've sold our weaners virtually straight off their mother, and uh, that's worked really well for us. We we didn't have enough grass or a big enough summer to see our way to get them through to feeder weights. Yep. So, so the best and the market has been so mm. strong that we've pulled our weaners off, which traditionally in about May um, and uh, May June. So. So they're dropping. When are you dropping those weaners? Those calves normally start to hit the ground about the end of September. Yeah, and um, so they are about from six to nine months old yep. at the time that we wean, and we have to have a reasonable summer to get them to where they are. But this year we got we got our our steer portion averaged about two hundred and ninety kilos. Yeah, 
and that was that was um, curfewed weight. That, that was five percent off their live weight, and uh, so and, and you know at about three hundred kilos for a nine month nine month old calf in this country is a fairly good result. It's it's a pretty good result in any yeah. country. I've got to tell you, Gordon. Yeah. It's uh, it's a terrific result. But it's funny you can see that. I mean, we know where we're in the areas where we've got you know terrific spring pastures and the cattle do well and the calves do well, but. You can see they're healthy, and and that's part of it up here. Um, you mentioned that uh, you know you you not you don't have to drench cattle. I mean we've got <laughs> we've, we're drenching sheep and cattle down south all the time, and so so that's good. Um, what about the uh, you've you've mentioned the sheep? The sheep are one of our favourites. We love talking about sheep, but they take some looking after. And how have you gone about managing that sheep situation on this property? What's your breeding program, and how does it fit in with? Um, marketing and sales well we actually don't gail and i don't run any and jack and i don't run any sheep here on westfield but um our daughter and son-in-law run run the sheep flock and uh and they do most of the work but i mean we assist at busy times of course shearing and crutching and what have you but just with labor being an issue up in up in this as it is in most parts of australia it's very hard to get we have one permanent employee involved with the family, so between us we are able to get away without casual help most times. But just the additional labour required with, with wool growing sheep, we haven't wanted to grow those numbers much more. We've, we've 2,000 ewes with your replacement ewes plus the lambs, Andrew's shearing sort of between four and a half and 5,000 most roughly a year. And we just find that to um, build on those numbers requires more labour. And and, yeah. um, and so Gail and I, you know, we're not that we're getting old, but we're getting older and uh, it just suits us more. To, we're running more goats and cattle on, our, in, on this end of the place and uh, they only require handling a couple of times a year to sort of mark and wean and um, pull off your sale stock. So it just suits us a little bit more than running wool growing sheep yeah. that we yeah. have to landmark and wean and shear and crutch and yeah. Well, the outlet for, um, as you would know, you know, having um, those calves that you've, I know you've just sold those calves that, that got to nearly 300 kilograms. Um, it's a great time to be producing meat. I noticed MLA's report this week is, or last week has got a really positive outlook for goat meat as well. So you, you could be well positioned, but one of the things that's um, changed the, the the situation out here, and I'll get you to explain more to it than I can, is the uh, exclusion fences, and and it's a, it's sort of a community effort, or you know you get together with with your neighbours. Uh, it's got some government support, but really it has made a a big difference out here to try and you know protect the livestock from the dogs. Oh, it's it's massive, Rob. Yeah. The um, the sheep and goat industry would not be able to operate the way it has taken off in the last couple of years um, back up in this country because dogs had moved in in big number and uh, anyone that was trying to stick with sheep was getting anywhere between zero and 30% lambings. And as they started to fence, they were, you know, because the dog numbers increased slowly, their lamb lambing percentages went down slowly so so they weren't entirely sure what the problem was because there were some ordinary years as well but anyone who has got a fence up in the last five years 
has suddenly discovered their lambings are jumping back up yeah. to 60, 80, 90 percent. Mm. And it's entirely dogs. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a great thing. And the dogs don't just annoy the sheep either, do they? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. If they, if they end up in number, if you get packs of six or eight together, they'll affect your calving percentage as well. They'll take anything on. But they certainly most impact is on sheep and goats where they don't they don't kill to eat they just kill for pleasure yeah. and and they'll just decimate a flock yeah. so exclusion fencing i see as essential to running small animals up in, in this western country and uh, and more and more people are doing it and that i believe even the people that are outside the fences will benefit from all the fencing that's being done because it will just stop the dogs from being able to move freely all over the country. Yeah. They'll then be restricted to just the areas outside and, yeah. and so those people can get a bigger handle yeah. on them. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're um, on Commodity Conversations today. You're listening to... Um, uh, I'm talking to Gordon Begg up here at, uh, what, we're about 65 k's southwest, southwest of Longridge. Um, Jack told me last night there's 50 k's of bitumen and 15 k's of dirt to get here. Uh, we got in just after it got dry enough to get in. But uh, tell me, look, I really appreciate your time. And, and of course, it goes without saying that, uh, you know, the hospitality you've shown us has just been sensational. So we're really grateful for that. But uh, I guess just a left field question to finish off on, Gordon, and we always try and come with something like this. We've got the, uh, the Rugby League State of Origin coming up. I'm recording this before game two, which I think is tonight. Is that right? That's correct. That's yeah. right. Game one was pretty bad for Queensland. What's, what happens now? Did Queensland bounce back? Well, yeah, that's certainly very contentious um, because uh, up here in Queensland, we're pretty parochial lot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I believe they've got, it, they've got it all in front of them tonight, to be honest. I think New South Wales are a very talented um, team this year, but... But um, I, I think that the scoreline will be very different. I yeah. think I think Queensland was a little guilty in the first game of going up to Townsville. Uh, you know, North Queensland got very hyped up. It was the first time they'd got a big game up there, and and uh, you know, rightly well, rightly so for them to be excited. And but but I think the Queensland team got carried away a little bit with that excitement as well, my personal view, and they got ambushed a bit by a very focused team. So, and I hope we see a better defensive effort from Queensland and I, <laughs> I don't know if we'll be able to contain all of those New South Wales backs, but I think we might be able to put it to them a little bit harder. Well, as we said, we've recorded this on Sunday night, on Sunday before game two, so we'll see how your predictions go, Gordon, but... This is a this is a first for commodity conversations. We're uh, we're talking about you know pastoral grazing zones, a country that I know very little about. Um, we're talking about uh, some really you know beautiful places to go to, and I you know I encourage anybody who wants to you know do a little bit of travelling in these COVID times, think about coming to the outback out here because it's just wonderful. And we're also for the first time on commodity conversations. We're covering rugby league, Gordon. So uh, you've introduced us to a whole lot of things. I want to really thank you for uh, your time. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we can come back again at another time to you, a different time of the year, and talk about how this country changes because I think it's just fascinating. So thanks very much, Gordon. My pleasure. Thank you, Rob. 
If any listeners out there would like to subscribe to Gordon's Footy Tips, good luck to you and we can certainly put you in touch. But in all seriousness, it was great to have Gordon on today to hear about his operation. And if you like this sort of episode, let us know and we can add more in every now and again. As always, we'd love it if you could give us a review or rating on your podcast app and share the podcast around. Take care and we'll be back next week. 